people spend too much time trying to hit that home run, trying to create that viral video every single time. And when it's not good enough, they don't end up publishing. And when they don't end up publishing, they're not consistent. And so I say, look, focus on the reps and the rest will take care of itself because at some stage, we don't know which video it will be, but one of those videos is going to be a home run or more than one of those are going to be. And that's when your channel really starts to grow. This is Super Fast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. Episode 902. Today we're chatting with Can from socialwave.com.au. Welcome back, Can. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me back on. I love your insights. You've been really helpful with us talking about agency matters, getting campaigns that work well. We've talked about videos before. Today we're going to get very specific about video. We're talking about 12 tips for growing and generating revenue using YouTube. A lot of talk about YouTube lately, Ken. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, one of the very few, I guess, incredible growth channels out there that people still haven't exactly taken advantage of. So, uh, you know, a lot of business owners don't see it as a potential marketing channel. They think it's just, uh, you know, food vloggers and people having fun. But uh, I think businesses can definitely leverage this and actually help them with growing revenue. So this is what we're here for today. Okay. Well, because it's 12 tips without making it boring or a chore, I think what we'll do is we'll get a nice cadence where we'll go through the tips, we'll introduce the tip, we'll talk about what that means, and then we'll go for the next. We'll make a list here. We'll put them up on superfastbusiness.com at episode 902. So if anything we talk about here with Can resonates, you can go and look that up. Of course, you can always get in touch with Can if you're interested in growing out your YouTube channel because he's doing that for his clients and getting great results, which by the way, is one of the first things I said to Ken when he proposed this topic. I said, do you actually get results with YouTube? And Ken said, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He did. Yeah, he's getting results. So, you know, just to make sure that, uh, you know, if you're first time listening to Superfast Business, everything we talk about here is practical. It's been done. We speak with real experts. This is not theory. We haven't just read some book off the shelf. I like to bring people who are getting results out there in the marketplace. So that's why I brought along Can because he's better at YouTube than I am, which really wouldn't be very hard. But my team are very interested in it now because we've signaled this as an area to focus. I'm a bit off Facebook and I'm a little bit on YouTube at the moment. So I'm really interested in seeing what we can get out of this. So tip number one, Can. All right. Tip number one, it's the obvious one. I get asked this all the time, which is what gear should you buy? And I argue tip number one is gear doesn't matter at the beginning. Okay. So gear doesn't matter at the beginning. Probably we've had this tip maybe 50 to a hundred times on this show over the years. I'll say this, an iPhone is probably good enough to make at least 4k quality content and the microphones in the phone even are good enough to get going. So don't let gear be your objective. In fact, I was just out can and a friend of mine called me and I said, how's your podcast going? And he said, still haven't recorded it because we're trying to do two camera setups and I don't have the gear yet. I'm going to have to send him to episode 902. Do you know when he first spoke to me about this podcast? I think it was last year. So it's been a year now, no podcast. So imagine the cost of not having a podcast for a year. Oh, by the way, when I say podcast, obviously when he's got talking to camera setups, his modality is video and that's what's holding him back is the gear. The gear is the number one reason he hasn't published a podcast. But really if he had two mates or one mate, him and whoever he's recording with because it's a two-person show, if they just put their iPhones on tripods, that would actually get them a minimum viable gear point. 
and then it's only up from there. So topic number two. Topic number two I've got here is focus on your delivery and get good in front of camera. I think a lot of people don't actually give this tip out, which is to say, oh, you can do all of this other stuff. You can take advantage of the algorithm. But if you're, unless you're a really good presenter or you get really good, you really need to focus on it. And I think competitions are getting more fierce now, even though it's still a bit of an opportunity or a land grab. So focus on the reps, learn and improve and really focus and don't be a copycat, you know, find your own unique style and flavor and iterate on others. But I think one of the biggest failures is the fact that, you know, people don't actually consume enough and learn first before creating. Oh, so give me some tips on delivery, being a better presenter. I'm always up for learning. Well, funnily enough, obviously, I think energy levels, you need to be much, much higher on camera. Like you spend a lot of time, you know, I guess the way that you normally interact, it can be quite a low baseline. But when you see that on camera, it tends to be actually quite low. Like you've got to go up a notch as well. I think also a lot of that is in the preparation. Things like, for example, if you feel like you're more comfortable with a teleprompter or you've got a list of notes, being able to rattle off this sort of stuff. But I think also, being really clear of understanding what's your area of expertise, because if you are an expert and you know a lot about a certain subject, it becomes much easier to talk about that in front of camera, as opposed to trying to move into something new. So I see a lot of people try and innovate, move into a space that they know nothing about, and then try and be able to deliver that on camera. So I think that is obviously a key there. And then of course, I think a lot of that is to do, like I said, the reps, you've just got to get the practice in place. If you go back to all of, even the most famous, I guess, YouTubers out there, their first videos, they're terrible. They're terribly made. They're terrible in front of camera. The consistency is that they just stayed the course and they kept doing it and they got the reps in. They got better at it in front of camera. Yeah, I'm still maybe still at that terrible phase for my own podcast. But (laughs) that being said, I did, you know, as a shy school kid, I did go, um, thanks to the help of my mum, she suggested I take some acting lessons and I got on camera. You're right about the energy thing. One thing he used to say is like, Come on, dial it up. He said, I'd rather have an actor that I need to pull the level down than having to try and lift it up. And over the years, I've had to work really hard on putting more tonality, more expression, more storytelling. I have no trouble looking straight down the lens. I'm good at that. And I'm really comfortable speaking to a crowd or in front of a camera and I can record content with minimal preparation as long as I do what you also said, keep within your wheelhouse. If I was to present a video on a topic I don't know that much about, then I have to do the prep work. I've got to do rehearsals, like remember lines or look at some material and then deliver it. And that's much, much harder, but it is possible. And I've noticed with YouTube edits, a lot of them actually seem to clip between sentences. Right. So I imagine the person in the background is reading stuff or having multiple attempts and then editing the thing together which, of course, when they say, oh, we'll just get it in post-production, <laughs> that means yeah, someone else is going to have to dredge through 20 hours of Correct. stuff. So that's a tip I remember from Ryan Spanger, actually. Yep. He said, if you can capture better stuff up front, like these podcasts, I'm not sure if our audience realize, but these podcasts are usually recorded in the first go, if I remember to hit record, which I mostly do, and they've got very, very few edits because I actually hardly ever make a mistake. I made one just then which is ironic, but I hardly ever fluff my lines or stutter or whatever. And then it's usually just a matter of the guest cleaning them up a little bit to make them look better than, uh, than it might've come out raw. But we don't clean it up too much because we don't want it to be polished so that it starts to look like a TV series versus what people really want. And you talked about this in a previous episode. They want the nitty gritty. They want the behind the scenes. They want the reality. Hence, you know, reality vision has become so popular. That's right. And I think if you think about 
we call them jump cuts, you know, these cuts that just, it's almost as if you've had three or four takes of it and it's been strung together, right? It almost feels a little unnatural, but when you do it in post-production, that's where they clean up a lot of that sort of stuff. And it's almost gotten to a stage now where it's actually a normal thing. It's like, if you don't have jump cuts in your video, people are like, oh, this is weird because they're so used to, I guess, I think maybe attention span also is actually starting to go shorter and shorter. So people just want to get to the point and they want to get their information as quick as possible. That's why jump cuts are really, really important for YouTube now. It does get your attention. I installed a little app on my phone called Spark and you can hold your finger down and record a line and then you can turn the chair, record another line and then look at a different angle. And And actually when you make the video play, it's like really engaging and it gets your attention. So I can see why people do it on purpose and it most definitely seems the YouTube style. Let's talk about uh, tip number three. Tip number three is get clear on who you serve. So this is not necessarily just a YouTube advice, but again, it goes back to the fact that, hey, if you aren't a expert or you don't know, or you're not staying within your wheelhouse, that's when you run yourself in trouble. So think about who your ideal customer or audience is, what problem do you solve? And I guess fundamentally, you need to feed a starving crowd. Is there, I guess, demand or is there a want for the stuff that you're creating? You know, do people love it? Only then do you actually know if you get clear on who you serve, are you going to see success on YouTube? Yeah, I like that. It's um, a classic Gary Halbert line, the starving crowd. That's the one thing he would ask for if he could be in a contest is a starving crowd. So being clear on who you serve, I love it. We hear it in all different ways, create an avatar, survey your audience, all this sort of stuff. But I suppose some creators are just creating stuff they want to create regardless of the audience or they're just sort of spewing stuff out and not worrying too much about whether there's a need there and wondering why they're not getting the results. So that's a really interesting one. What about tip number four? Tip number four is you need to create content that's both entertaining and helpful, so-called edutainment. So you'll find that, you know, if you ever watched a video of like a academic just spew on and on and on about the journal that they put together and the research they put there, they're boring, right? So there's the entertainment component that's required there. And some of the best, I suppose, YouTubers out there are doing a mix of both. They're being able to talk about things that, you know, you really enjoy hearing about and you learn something about it. Guys like Johnny Harris, if anyone gets to check out him, he's gone through an astronomical, you know, I guess, growth journey where he's essentially come from a journalist background, but also incorporated his motion graphics and animations and his skill sets there working with Vox. And then when he combines sort of the entertainment and the education with it, there are some amazing opportunities and people latch onto it. They want to watch more. And that's where you start to see it snowball. You get subscribers, you get people returning for more videos, your view count goes up and then your channel grows. Right. So entertaining could be great, but it might not sell anything. Like I'm thinking about those kook slam videos on Instagram yeah, or those dancing TikTok things. They might be very entertaining, but you're not really going to buy anything. The educational stuff, you know, we start talking about education, you're thinking academics, boring, professors, degrees, sessions where you're just yawning in them. Somewhere in the middle, that's the photo. What are we doing to edutain? Is it that why we have nice purple lights and blue effects in our screen? Is it all the funny jokes we crack or the little stories that we interlace into our discussion? Is that where we make it palatable for people to learn about the 12 tips for growing, generating revenue using YouTube? Well, I think so. I think also people enjoy, I suppose the thing about podcasts particularly is the, what do I call it? Like the fly on the wall factor. You know, the fact that someone can just voyeuristically listen in on a conversation between, you know, two people who know what they're talking about. That's a super interesting and entertaining way for people to consume information as well. It's better that than listening to, like I said, that academic who talks 20 minutes, half an hour nonstop about what they do. Although maybe some people just like that. They enjoy it, right? 
But I think for us here on the podcast, particularly, I mean, then obviously turning that into a video as well, the ability to be able to sit there and actually listen. Yeah, we crack some jokes sometimes as well, but I wouldn't say we're the funniest people. But I think it's interesting enough for people to get to take something away whilst being engaged through that whole process. We are definitely not the funniest people. <laughs> Speaking of entertainment, you know, I've been watching the Beatles documentary on Disney and it is just mind-blowing. There's just so many hours of fly on the wall in the studio where this band, arguably at the height of their career, created 14 songs in a matter of weeks and you get to watch that creative process, the structure and the process and the challenges. It's a masterclass in getting stuff done. It is amazing and it's, it's so riveting. I feel like I'm in the room there and I'm transported back in time. It's beyond uh, epic. Anyway, tip number five. Tip number five is you need to treat yourself like a media company. So what I mean by that is if Netflix went out and created content about how awesome Netflix was, then no one would listen or no one would watch, sorry, Netflix, right? That is what I guess most business owners who want to use YouTube do. They just create videos about how awesome they are. Everything's a sales pitch. Everything's just about me, 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 me. So treat yourself like a media company. Think about what do people enjoy watching? What content can you create? Again, staying within your wheelhouse. But only then when you do that, you know, you could curate content. You can get people on the show. You know, we're doing this in the podcast format where you're bringing on experts. The point is, is that once you see things from that lens, that's when your channel starts to grow. And then what ends up happening is you build up an affinity with your channel and your brand. And then people ultimately want to find out what you actually do and what problem you solve. And that's what leads to some of the revenue growth and people inquiring for your products or your services. It's such an interesting frame. You know, I would have described what we do as um, being akin to a publisher, but I think the media label fits quite well. We publish podcasts after podcast and we have some books and audible stuff. And we have content, obviously, in our membership side and small products. I like the media business label. It's very modern. It's probably why most of our clients are succeeding. It fits very nicely into the own the race course philosophy of controlling your content so that if for one day, whatever reason, YouTube says, listen, uh, we're going to just close your channel. You know, (laughs) you wake up one day, it's all gone. It'd be sad. You might cry for a moment. But you still own that content and you can distribute it across other platforms. So it's good to have ownership of that content and to control it. So I think I like the media thing. The e-commerce brands that have gone well have been good at the media side of it, have been publishing content on a regular basis. Same with you work with lots of dry, boring type industries, don't you? I'm not going to say clients because they might get personal, Canvas. (laughs) You work with accounting firms, real estate, property type businesses soft drink companies, banks, those sort of clients, uh, in some cases, their products or services don't seem that exciting. But when they grasp that they're a media business and the thing that they do is the way they monetize the media, that just transforms it, doesn't it? That's right. I mean, we've got a client who is a mortgage broker and there's only so many things you can talk about when it comes to home loans, right? Before it just starts to get pretty repetitive. And what we found was growing their channel was that that growth started to explode when he started moving away from just focusing within just home loans. He started talking about you know personal wealth, building obviously a property portfolio, how to do due diligence. So basically things that are still within the property space, but a little bit more outside of that. And I know that might sound a little contradictory when I say, oh, stay within your lane, what your level of expertise is. But also you've got to have the self-awareness to understand it's like, well, how much content can I create about an area that I'm focused on? Especially if you're in like a hyper niche that only really has say a handful of topics that you can cover. And so when we saw that happen, 
we saw the channel grow explosively because there are certain, I guess, sexy topics that people really always want to know about. For example, how do I become rich? How do I become wealthy? You know, how do I actually build a massive property portfolio in his case? You know, like for example, we had an accounting client who actually had that same situation where it was like, he was out there just creating videos about how to minimize tax. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and he started creating content about JobKeeper. People were trying to wrap their heads around legislation and his channel tripled overnight simply because, again, going back to the whole Gary Halbert thing, he was feeding a starving crowd. So it's super important to understand that you do need to expand a little bit and identify where the opportunities are. And that's when you can tap into the opportunity to grow your channel as well. Well, it's very clever. He's basically looking up the river and seeing what's upstream of my business and getting there first so that he can control that lead flow. My friend Dean Jackson talks about that too, if you're in the wedding market. And if you're making wedding cakes, then you might want to publish a wedding planner so that you can go right at the beginning of the process when they're doing all the stuff like engagement rings and wedding dresses and venues and all the things that come before, oh, okay, we need a cake. Because by that time, you have no control over the supply chain. You're like last in the line. Everyone else has had their bit. So I think that's very clever. What about tip number six? Tip number six is don't focus on the numbers. And I think people hear this and they understand why, but they can't help themselves but actually focus on the numbers. And the reason why is because growing a YouTube channel is a marathon, not a sprint. It's going to take time. And unless you're like monetizing your channel and you want to be a YouTube influencer and you want to make money through AdSense and all that sort of stuff, you don't actually need massive numbers to drive massive revenue growth. So if you're running a business and you're using YouTube as a channel, right, it's actually, you don't need huge numbers. So I'll give you an example. One of our clients, accountant, again, he has, I want to say 4,000 subscribers. Definitely for the average channel, there's not that much. He gets about 15,000 unique views every single month. But what that translates into is translates into about 120 to 150 leads every single month. And he converts these leads at a conversion rate of about 50 to 60%. So out of that 100, 120, he's getting about 50 to 60 clients going ahead. And they're worth about three dollars to $5,000 each. So you do the maths, you figure out how much money he's bringing in based on a channel that's only just churning out only 4,000 subscribers every single month. So that's a classic case of um, noise to signal ratio. Yes, Absolutely. So leads from YouTube, that sounds like a whole episode. (laughs) We could definitely go down that rabbit hole in the episode. I'm interested in that one. I'm going to remember that. So instead of focusing on the numbers, what should we be focused on? I think you need to focus on what's pipeline and what ends up coming through in terms of revenue. So I touched on that, which is to say, ask the questions about where they're finding you. In this case, leads. Yeah, leads, uh, big time, because you you can have all these vanity metrics. And I know we've spoken about this in previous episodes is that you know, hey, like these sort of numbers could be really sexy. And I know you've got some people that you know in the past who have some really, I guess, big followers, but they have a lot of trouble monetizing that. And so what's, I guess, crucial for business owners to understand is that you just need to see, and if you're the one doing the sales call, you just need to see that whoever you're talking to is telling you that they're actually consuming your content on YouTube. And in return, they're becoming clients because they felt like they built a relationship and the marketing's working through your YouTube channel. And that's what we're seeing with our clients. But I will touch on, for example, another particular case study some of you might know this particular person. His name's Ali Abdul, very well-known YouTuber, focuses on like the productivity space. He's got like 2.35 million subscribers last time I checked. And he did a very interesting video where he actually gave you a breakdown of how many videos he created every single year and then how much he was making. So I'll kind of share those numbers that I've got here as well. So he said, basically in 2017, he made 59 videos. He only had 1,600 subscribers and made $0. The following year, he made 88 videos in 2018 alone, 
And that channel grew from 1,600 subscribers to 120,000 subscribers. And he ended up making $12,329. And then the year after that, which is 2019, he made 62 videos and that made $33,186. I guess what my point is, is that he had to make over 300 videos before this became a full-time income. And I know, for example, TubeBuddy, which is a well-known YouTube SEO tool, did a real recent study. And they basically said, for you to hit 1 million subscribers, the average channel needs about 3,800 videos. These are insane numbers. Can you imagine just how many of these? I know, James, you're up to like 900 and then all of the repurposed content that you're doing, you're probably close to that number to get that sort of number if you just focused on YouTube. But I'm saying those numbers are really sexy. But as a business owner, you don't actually need to hit those numbers unless you want to be a YouTube influencer and you want to make money through the ad revenue that it generates. I think we actually have a few thousand videos. (laughs) (laughs) And to your point, only about five and a half thousand subscribers. But my business is really solid that even if I get 50 people view my video, if one of them purchases something, the lifetime customer value is probably two and a half thousand dollars in a low tier product. So if one person watched this video and joined my program, that would be great. So if you're watching this video, join my program, (laughs) superclassbusiness.com. Or get in touch with Ken if you want help with your YouTube marketing. Great example there. Thank you. Let's talk about tip number seven. Tip number seven is make it easy for yourself to be prolific. So what I mean by that is how easy is it to make life easy for you to create content? Could that be just when you're walking out the door every day and you're walking, you're doing 10 minute commute to the train station and you just want to create content? Or do you go and batch content and you spend it half a day every single quarter and you knock out six or seven videos? Understand exactly where your energy level's at and work around that is super important because it's not about just say, all right, if you're publishing a video every single week that you only film a video every single week, the smartest people out there who are building fantastic channels are doing this in batches because it's much easier because you got to do the setup, you got to do the pack down, you got to prime yourself, you got to get ready to get in front of video, do this in bunches because then after that, once it's time to actually publish, you've got all this stuff in the bank or in the library. And all you got to do is just publish and edit and get that out. Love it. I mean, from my own authorship perspective, this room that I'm in here, it's a walk-in, turn on the button. It's like one, two, three, four. That's the camera, lights, lights, and mic amp thing. And I'm good to go. This all just stays right here. It's connected to an iMac. I don't take the computer anywhere. So I just walk in and I can record. And then when I finish, I just give the media to my team. So I can actually keep up. I'm miles and miles ahead with my podcast now because I've made it so easy for me to actually record content combined with a scheduler. So I put things in the scheduler, I issue numbers for the podcast, and then I just put them. So at the point where we're recording this podcast, I am so many episodes in front. It's like a record for me. There used to be times when I was just scraping over the bar to get one out for the week, right? The team would be nagging me, hey, boss, we need something to publish. (laughs) You know, can you do a podcast or something? Because I'd have my laptop, I mightn't have the lights or the mic set up, or I didn't have something in my scheduler, and it was a little ad hoc. So there's a period there where we were just sort of bumping on the bottom. And now we've just got this bank, and the bank gives us confidence and strength to be able to tailor around that to take our time, we're never under a pressure or a deadline or trying to do something in a hurry which can induce mistakes so we can focus on doing good work and uh, that's because it's set up. So I love this about the environment, make it easy. It reminds me of this lunatic boss that I had once and he used to screw the electrical extension cords into the power socket in his workshop 
because he didn't want the workers to take them and move them around so that someone goes to work on a car and there's no extension lead and they spend half an hour walking around trying to find one and they see one other one so they take that and then that person goes to work on the car and then they <coughs> like I don't I need an extension lead so they go looking for one and they take that and it's this never ending game of messed up environment so he screwed them into the wall they couldn't take them anywhere he bolted things down or he put them in the middle of where they're used like he thought about this so environment setup is critical. So great tip. What about tip number eight? Tip number eight, I think, is probably one of the most important, if not the most important, and that is focus on quantity first before quality. So do the reps. And I guess the thing with people, and we alluded to this at the start of the episode, which is your friend who's been talking about doing this for a year and hasn't done it, which is, I think perfection is the enemy of good. And that is to say, even though it's not good enough, you're not 100% happy with it go out and just publish the content. You're not trying to hit a home run every single time. I mean, even when we do episodes, say on the podcast or we do our own videos, we always go, yeah, that one was great. But you know what? Don't judge it. Let's get it out. So the way I kind of like in growing a YouTube channel is like investing. You want to be diversified. You need to have a lot of videos, at least initially, that don't do great. Some of them will do okay, but a small percentage will go viral and they'll lift the success of the channel. And so what that basically means is you are essentially trying to manufacture a bit of luck there, right? So it's kind of the classic being in it to win it. So an example of that is, you know, going back to the accounting example is when the pandemic first hit and everyone's looking for information on government grants, we had an existing channel, we had an existing following, we had all the infrastructure in place, all the environmental setup done. So it's a really frictionless process. And had we not done all of that beforehand, we wouldn't have had the quote unquote luck or been able to take advantage of the situation to grow the YouTube channel. So the more content you produce, the more likeliness of luck occurring, right? Another example is, for example, Bill Gates. Not many people know about this, I think, but he went to one of the few high schools in the US at the time that had a computer. And if you know that, it's like, well, people think Bill Gates is super genius, but I think there's some luck that came into play as well, right? Not saying that he's not great and he's, he's amazing at what he does, but <laughs> people spend too much time trying to hit that home run, trying to create that viral video every single time. And when it's not good enough, they don't end up publishing. And when they don't end up publishing, they're not consistent. And so I say, look, focus on the reps and the rest will take care of itself because at some stage, we don't know which video it will be, but one of those videos is going to be a home run or more than one of those are going to be. And that's when your channel really starts to grow. Well, I have 100 videos more than my friend. And so even if one of them's not rubbish, that would be good. But as it turns out, yeah, like you don't always know which one's going to be the most popular or well-received. I get a feeling about it, but sometimes you can, you know, get a surprise or one just happens to hit on a little gold mine of keyword love or something. So I love that quantity. I noticed that also about in the car industry, it was like quantity paid better than quality initially. Like if you just kept getting the quantity, you ended up building a faster database and you were able to get more referrals and then you would find the good deals and the great customers in, you know, mixed in there. And I think it's really important to just add more in the beginning. I've recorded a couple of episodes with people where they've said, mm, I thought about the episode and it really wasn't my best one. And I wonder if we can just delete them and just redo them, but change the topic a bit. And I'm like, okay, well, we could do that, but let me just walk you through this scenario. How about we publish those ones and do the one you're proposing? Because then we have more irons in the fire. We've got more reach. We have more people listening to this. You've got the benefit of three episodes instead of just one. And then they thought about that and thought, oh, yeah, well, I suppose you're right. 
So if you can go with quantity, especially in the beginning, then that would be a great idea. What about tip number nine? Tip number nine is about understanding and using your competitive advantage. So the best example I want to give here is if you, uh, for those of you who know the comic Dilbert, it was created by a guy called Scott Adams, incredibly smart guy, but he credits a lot of his success or his odds of success by saying, every time you acquire a new skill and you get quite good at it, you double your odds of success. So in his example, he's an okay artist, right? And he also writes okay. And he kind of worked his way up to it, right? And he's, so he's a little bit funny, but overall he's, you know, not that great. He writes a little bit, he can draw a little bit, but what happens is when you put all three of those things together, you've got now Dilbert, which is now one of the most, I guess, celebrated comics out there. So it's what basically you think of as polymaths, you know, they pull from various different areas to solve problems. They have expertise probably across two or more different subjects. And they have the ability or to be able to connect dots across different fields. And they can come up with quite creative solutions that usually can't be reached by someone who's only an expert in one specific area. So they kind of see the big picture in a lot of ways. And so, you know, to keep this kind of theme going, like this accountant client of mine, he's okay. He's not that funny. He's pretty funny. He's an Asian (laughs) dude, right? (laughs) It's an oxymoron, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah, it's an oxymoron. Accountant and funny doesn't mix, right? And no one out there is actually giving advice, accounting advice on YouTube. So when you combine these three to four features together, it's the combination of the sum of all its parts that actually creates a lot of the value in there. So it's to understand, it's like, you don't need to be at the top of your game before you launch a YouTube channel. You just need to think about what are the two or three things that I'm pretty decent at, I'm better than most people at, and combine those together to create your, uh, I guess, your unfair or your competitive advantage. Makes me think of one of those corporate bingo buzzwords, synergy. (laughs) Um, But I I like to think of it as, as stacking. Stacking different things together to get a, a leveraged effect or compound effect. I like that. I feel like that's something I can totally relate to as being somewhat of a generalist. My ability to find good people and bring them together and do my best to extract the good skills from them because I'm not really a specialist in all the areas of the guests that I have, but I have enough of a grasp on it to be able to know where I should be looking for the specialized knowledge to come out. And then we're good at because we're covering a lot of ground and we have a great little team and we're nimble, we can publish this and get a lot of information out to the market, which is great. So let's talk about tip number 10. Number 10 is enjoy the process more than the end goal. So people are really focused on, oh, when am I going to hit the million subscribers or when am I going to hit my first 10,000 or, you know, whatever the, I guess, again, your vanity number is, you know, I guess Gary Vee, very well-known marketer, as people seem to know him by, is that he always talks about understanding that his goal is to buy the New York Jets, the football team, but it's not about the end goal. It's about the process of the journey to get there. And if you enjoy creating, you enjoy making videos, you enjoy sharing your content through your channel, that is actually a huge contribution to the success of the channel. Because rather than you trying to get those dopamine hits of relying on an algorithm that gives you the results and gives you the numbers that you want, if you're just fixated on the fact that, hey, I'm just out here creating videos. I don't care if people see it, people watch it, people comment, whatever. I'm just going to do it for myself. That actually ultimately contributes to the success of your channel and the growth of the channel. Because the amount of times I've had clients where we started saying the first six, 12 months, and it just fell on deaf ears. There were a lot of times where he maybe got like five or 10 or she got you know 15 views per video and they were getting pretty, I guess, feeling defeated about themselves. But once I said, look, trust the process, enjoy the process, just come in, do the reps, you know, create the content and the rest will take care of itself. It's really surprising after that six to 12 month mark, you start to see this snowballing and the channel grow organically by itself. And then it just becomes a beast of its own. 
enjoy the process. Yeah, I like that. Reminds me of when I'm assisting my daughter get up a little hill. You know, we went on a bushwalk the other day and it was, it was probably about two or three kilometres. She's two. <laughs> and so we'd, we um, basically we made up a little game. Like we were playing tip, so she's running to try and do tips. She was so interested in the process that she sort of forgot that we were moving a long way. So the longer I can get before I have to carry her, the better because she's starting to get heavy. Kids are like that. I mean, I was going to say kids, kids are very much so like they're just fixated on the process. They have no end goal. You know, it's all about just discovery and it's all about just the exploration of the process. And I think if you think about like people who are really good at their craft, like I think chefs are a really good example. It's like all they worry about is just, you know, you talk about stacking is just to get better and better inch by inch, you know, one step at a time. And, and we should approach the same way as a craft when it comes to building a YouTube channel. Yeah, or even like when we get to staircases or whatever, I make a little song and we sing a song. It's like, <laughs> up the step, up the step, up the step, up the step. And she gets so interested in the process. Before you know it, we're at the top of the staircase and uh, it was fun. And the process, we weren't talking about accomplishing to get to the top or, you know, that we need to go home and all this sort of stuff. So it's fascinating to see how easy that is to incorporate. I would say, having got this far into my podcast, that I'm okay with the process and making it a routine. And I know without fail, if I keep publishing podcasts, that my business is served really well. It's a fantastic conversion tool to find my perfect customers and to refer people over to experts who can help them in their journey as well. So it's been a good system and we're sort of putting this idea together with the one before about making it easy to record as what's made it sustainable. So if you can do something for over 10 years, I think that's a, an achievement. <laughs> Tip number 11. Number 11 is very similar, but just start. So just like I said, we're doing the reps, not aiming for perfection, just getting your first batch of content out there. Like I said, all of our clients look back into their first few videos and they cringe. They're really stiff. They're not great in front of camera, but the key is they got it out of the way. They got the reps in because they got better over time. And it's really kind of, I guess, interesting is like the first milestone of success is always the hardest. Like making your first $10,000 is much harder than making, you know, your first million dollars. Once you get a roll on and things start to snowball, things become easier. So the starting process is always the hardest because everything is foreign. You're not used to doing things. It's like going to the gym, you know, after the never, either never going to the gym or haven't been gone, gone, haven't gone in a long time, which is you're really sore after the first workout, right? Like I can't, like I work on my legs and I can't walk the next day. And I'm just like, forget about it. Don't want to go back to the gym. But then if you convince yourself to go back and do it again and do it again, it gets easier. You get less sore, you get better at your form. Everything gets much easier. Everything becomes muscle memory. And so that's the same thing with YouTube and creating content or any sort of content for that matter, which is just start and go through that process. But I think the second half of that is, you know, like my comparison with investing, it's to understand how search engines work, right? YouTube's a search engine and it's about sort of the compounding interest or the compounding effect of publishing videos on a regular basis, right? So you build your base. And then what happens is you make all of your money at the tail end. You don't make your money in the first video. And that's one that generates all the million dollars that you want to make. But what ends up happening is it's usually video 70, video 80, video 300. The tail end of what's happening, and I'm sure you can attest to this, James, because you've done this many episodes of the podcast, is that most people actually give up way too early and they fade out before they actually hit critical mass. And a lot of the time, they're so close before hitting, I guess, the next home run for the video that they don't realize that if they had just kept going, say for another few months or another six months, that they would actually, well, their entire life would change. Their YouTube channel would be incredible. They'd have a massive following. And ultimately, if you're running a business, you'd be able to get the leads and the revenue growth that you need. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for momentum. And 
Well, there's a few sayings in there. It's like that inches from gold saying, and, and you are right. When we looked at, you and I looked at the data on my own channel where we had podcast series, the ones with the longer series have the more compounded views because people will go through the back catalogue. I'm wondering, do people ever just delete their original works, like some of these heavily curated Instagram accounts where someone's got a lot of followers but they've only got like five posts and I'm like, how did you get so many followers <laughs> of five selfies of yourself? And they're like, oh, I deleted all my other posts. Yeah, we've had some situations where we've seen it could be that a business owner who no longer provides that sort of service. And so some of the videos that they do, they don't want it there because then it ends up, you know, I guess, miscommunicating what they do. So for example, we got a client who used to do car detailing and also smash repairs, and then they just wanted to double down on smash repairs. So it made no sense to actually have car detailing videos because people will be reaching out about that. So there are cases like that, but you know, like the ones that you refer to where, you know, they either deleted a lot of history, but they had a great, you know, massive viewership. And then it dropped off in terms of engagement. People weren't actually connecting, weren't commenting, weren't liking. We don't usually see that all that often because it's all about actually getting the strategy right from the beginning. And unless there's like circumstances where you sold the business or you wanted to go a completely different direction and it's not within the exact same space that you're operating, those are probably the only circumstances that I see. But, you know, again, you know, you could definitely have cases where people want to just delete their channels. I'm not sure why, but uh, people need to see also YouTube channels as an asset. You know, it's the ability to be able to as a marketing tool, generate leads and generate revenue for your business. So it wouldn't make any sense necessarily in most cases to go and just delete it. I think a lot of artists like to burn stuff down and start again. Uh, you see it with musicians. They change their name. They want to denounce their previous work. <laughs> right. Like Cat Stevens might have been one of them. But, yeah, I feel, I feel it. We've deleted stuff before where it relates to a business division that I've sold, but there's still plenty of really old crappy videos of mine on the YouTube channels just wondering if we need to prune it if that helps or not like it does with our blog itself let's talk about tip number 12 round it out look at that we've followed this process can of a numbered system and now we're at the end so I'm pretty excited for this one tip number 12 is just a bit of a kind of summary or takeaways that you need to know based on the first 11 that I gave which is if you were to just do three things that would be to Create videos that essentially help deliver transformation. That is, you need to educate and entertain. People need to either learn something about it, improve, feel like they got something out of it, right? The next one is publish at least once a week. Like I said, with the Ali Abdal example, or even some of the clients that we're seeing with the data across the board is that there is direct correlation between the growth of your channel and the speed at which the channel grows versus how many videos you actually publish. And if anything, I would recommend that you do more than once a week if you have the capacity to do that, because we're seeing that definitely benefit. And it's kind of like that thing where I said, it's more about you're not trying to hit the home run every single time. You're just going and doing the reps. And the more that you have out of that, the more likelihood that you have a video that explodes. And then if you do that for a year or two, yes, a year or two, not just a month or two, which is to say, run the marathon, not the sprint, do this sustainably, enjoy the process, do the reps your channel will succeed. Now, unfortunately, most people, I would say the majority of people will listen to this and go too hard, don't want to do this, right? But when things have a higher barrier of entry, that's usually when you get the best results. And so I would say for anyone who wants to commit to this process, you will get the results if you follow these three tips, because ultimately it's more about who can actually last the race and who can actually stay in the race for the longest as opposed to the people who drop off along the way. So it was edutainment, quantity. What was the third one? Edutainment, number two was publish at least once a week. And the third one was do this for a year or two. Don't give up. Keep going for the first year or two. Now, we didn't talk about a lot of stuff that people might have been curious about if it was in here or not. 
tactical stuff like tags, titles, thumbnails, pre-rolls. What like is any of that stuff actually important? It is important, and I think uh, it's probably worth us doing a channel, oh, well, a, a separate um, <laughs> well episode, a channel. Let's start a channel. <laughs> um, but look. I think it's worthwhile to understand the technical side of things and how to beat the actual YouTube algorithm and grow your channel from that perspective. I think this episode is mainly about understanding that even before- This is like the core fundamental basis. This is a mindset thing. It's a massive mindset issue that we see a lot of clients have, which is they think it's too hard. There's way too much friction. It's way too hard to start off. And even before you try and understand the YouTube algorithm and how to beat it and maximize your views, you need to actually get your head around what's involved and what that process is and what sort of, I guess, the mental demons that you have to deal with before you actually kick off and grow your channel as well. So I think we can definitely do a separate uh, video in that case to talk about some of the more technical or the more algorithm ranking factors. There you go. I'm chatting with Can Huang from socialwave.com.au. This is episode 902 of superfastbusiness.com. You know what I like about you, Ken, is we're not talking about Can the superstar and Can the man's YouTube channel. We're talking about your client success stories and that's what makes you real because you're really interested in getting success for your clients. So I appreciate that. Thank you for putting the effort into YouTube to go out there and find out what works for us. And I think everything on this list is achievable. So it's not worrying too much about the gear, focusing on improving your delivery ability, being very clear on who you serve, be edutaining if possible, be a media business, focus on the revenue instead of the numbers or whatever the outcome is that you're trying to get, not vanity metrics. By the way, a lot of the people who I've worked with who do have high vanity metrics are really vain, Um, which is not a surprise. (laughs) It's like they're far more worried about getting that little plaque sent to them than what the actual financial benefit is. In, In not all cases, I don't want to tar everyone with the same brush. I do have some superstars who have like a million subscribers who really care about their customers to the point where there's so much empathy. So that's good to see. So I'd say there's a probably 50-50 split there. Make it easy to record your content. Set up a, a routine, a schedule, an environment that makes it easy. Get them out there, quantity versus quality in the beginning. Pick up your competitive advantages and stack them together, basically to make your own unique pathway or product or category that's impossible for people to compare. Enjoy the process of it rather than getting overwhelmed by the whole journey. Just start, a very pragmatic tip. And the last one is to you know, commit to it for a certain time frame and publish on a regular basis so that you can actually give it enough time to see the results before you give up too early. Can, if someone wants to ask you about if they have a YouTube channel that's needing some help or they want to start one or they want someone to help them with the marketing side of it, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so they can reach out to me and email me. That's uh, can at socialwave.com.au or they can jump over to our website, socialwave.com.au and fill in an inquiry form and we can jump on a call and get basically get to understand whether or not you want to start a YouTube channel or you've already got a channel and you're looking to grow that. We help both situations and we basically get to understand exactly what your end goal is and what sort of, I guess, opportunities are out there that you can you know, improve upon to give you the best chance of success. Love it. And it should be mentioned that you've got full agency capabilities, everything from cold marketing through to production you know, possibilities. So I, I love that uh, you are, of the many people I know, Ken, you're one of the most capable in multi-disciplines. So you're like a marketing polymath, whatever that's called. <laughs> <laughs> good to chat to you and I'll, I'll get you back on another episode because it's too good not to share. All right. Thank you, James. 
discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.